I love those guys, the skit guys. They are so funny. But it, it gives us just a humorous idea of what armor does. You know, think about all the things that you do in your life to protect yourself, to protect your family. You know, we have all kinds of protections in cars, right? We have the front airbags, side airbags, you know, top airbags. We have seat belts. We have, you know, the padding. We have all kinds of things that protect us, right? These early warning systems. You're getting too close to a car. You're backing into something, okay? Um, even, even in our personal lives, we wear protection for the elements. Today, you came with coats on. You came, you know, prepared for perhaps the rain. You know, we have protection that is automatic in our lives that we think of. You don't have to think of the fact that when it's winter, oh, that's right, I better put a coat on today. Or it's, it's snowing outside, I may want to put boots on today. It's, it's not something that you have to really plan for. You just see and you have a reaction to it because you've already prepared. You've already known in yourself, you've, you've built this paradigm in yourself that when this happens, I'm prepared because I've already got the boots. I've already got the coat. I've already got these protections in place. Right? It's much the same with a walk with Jesus Christ. He gives us protections that he wants us to already have in place for when we step out into the world. Now, those protections will be tested, just as you see the climate change. And we're tested by taking an umbrella, right? You'll be tested in your protection system, in your walk with Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to begin today. Today we're going to introduce this series and talk a little bit about why. Why do we need these protective sources that he gives us? And I want you to understand that there are some very significant reasons why. Because there's an enemy out there. There is... Someone out there that wants to defeat us, that wants to keep us from not only living a good life ourselves in Jesus Christ, but certainly wants to keep us from sharing that with other people, right? I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 10 through 18, and this is where Paul's talking about the armor of God, and he's explaining how we have these defenses at our disposal. So again, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. I'm reading out of the ESV, and it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm... Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, 
and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Before we talk about the armor beginning next week, let's understand why we need it. Okay, what did, what did Paul say there in verse 10? He said, finally, he, in, the, in the previous chapters, he's talking about how we should live. He's talking about what, what he, the, Jesus Christ gives the church and how we are to be with each other. Then he says in verse 10, finally, what? Be strong. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Not the strength of our might. Not be strong in the Lord and you have that strength in you so muster it up somehow. No, what he's saying is be strong in the Lord, but be strong in his might. We take on his strength because it's about what he does through us, not about what we do in ourselves. But I want to point out one other thing, and that is in verse 11 and also verse 13, Paul says put on the whole armor of God. Put on every single piece. Have you ever seen something where there's a full piece of armor, if, say, a knight, if there was something missing, that would be a vulnerable area, right? So Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. Put on every single piece. Why? Because every single piece has meaning. Every single piece has a specific protection. So we don't want to miss any one. So put on the whole armor of God. Again, let me read verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may what? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. How many of you realize that the devil has schemes? Anyone? Yeah. He is calculating. He is systematic. He is strategic. So how often do we think in a strategic mind about him? Or do we find ourselves really reacting to him? When he puts his schemes together, are we reacting to what we see versus are we expecting something from him and ready for it? More times than not, we react. And we didn't even expect what happened to happen. Right? Because he knows where to hit us. He knows what our weakest points are. If we're missing one of those pieces of armor, he knows which one it is. He knows the best way to get into our head. He knows the best way to defeat us. And not, by the way, not because he's in our head. Because he can't be in our head. He can't know our thoughts. But when you follow somebody and you see everything they do over the period of their life, it's not hard to get to know them. 
it's not hard to see where their weak points are. Each one of us have those buttons, right? If you have a close relationship with someone, they usually know the buttons to press when, you know, to (laughs) get you on that wrong track. Now, those buttons have nothing to do with them. That has to do with the enemy knowing our weak points because he wants to knock us off our game, right? He wants us to take us from effectiveness to neutrality. If you're saved, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, then he's already lost your soul. He can't do a thing about that. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 guarantees our salvation until we see the Lord. So Satan can't do anything about that. He's already lost that. So then he goes to work on the fact that he wants you to not have a victorious life because a victorious life means that you are an influence to other people. So he wants to stop that because the last thing he wants is for you to be effective to somebody else. And each one of us have people in our lives that look at us and see our relationship with Christ. And we have a potential testimony with people around us. So Satan wants to distract from that. He wants to get our minds on ourselves. You know, right now is, is you know, there's sickness going on. The weather, like every time I wake up and see the rain, it's just depressing. I wish it were a foot of snow. I'm sorry, I know a lot of you disagree. <laughs> yeah, you agree with I would love snow. But that's how Satan begins to fight. He begins to get our mind working in the natural instead of the supernatural. If we were to wake up in the morning and having our time with the Lord begin to focus on the supernatural, begin to focus on this world that we cannot see, but we know is there, we would have a little bit different outlook as we walk outside our door. But again, Satan wants to defeat us in that. Why? Because we are fighting an unseen enemy. You don't see the enemy here this morning. You don't see the enemy when you're alone in your house and it's time to do your devotions and all of a sudden there's so many things popping in your head of stuff you need to do. But i got to get this done. I, I have half an hour to get this done. I forgot to do it. I've got to get it done. See, the enemy starts putting those things in our mind, but we don't see him do that. We fight an unseen enemy. Let's read verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Now, by the way, this, this is giving us a breakdown. We're not going to get into um, the background of this or anything, but basically this is listing us levels of authority within the enemy's camps. These are different types of enemies. Okay. Again, I don't want to take a rabbit trail here, but a fallen angel is very different than a demon. 
Okay, if you study the Word of God and see the, the characteristics of both, they're different. Okay? We fight an enemy that is capable, that is capable of getting at us in our weak points. One, because he knows it. But two, because he has enough forces to get the job done. If we let him. It's not that he is so limited in his forces that he can only choose to really affect maybe 10-20% of Christians. Now he has enough forces to affect every single one of us. And we've all seen that because in our walk, our fight with the enemy is a personal one, isn't it? It's not like we wake up and... Oh, awesome. He's not here today. I don't have to worry about it. He's with somebody else. That's not the case. He has plenty of help to fight us. But on the opposite side, Jesus, remember, only a third of the angels fell. That means two-thirds stayed with God the Father. And two-thirds is that army that is against the enemy. So as much as we have this enemy against us personally, we also have this help. But I want you to understand that this battle is not what we see. If we are stuck in this three-dimensional world, we're not going to understand the battle. Because we can't see it coming. You can only sense it coming. And you can only sense that through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sent to us as a comforter, as a helper, to help us see that enemy. Now, what is the first thing in fighting an enemy? It's seeing that enemy, right? So if you don't look for that enemy, if you're not aware of that enemy coming, you're never going to be prepared to fight that enemy. You're never going to have your defenses on to keep that enemy away. And that's we're going to get into that as we get into the specific pieces of the armor. We're going to get into what those mean. Because each one is different. Each one has a very specific defense and way that it's applied. So, again, we're not just talking about one or two enemies here. We're talking about a system of enemy. We're talking about a system of enemy directed by Satan, who knows us, who can push our correct buttons, who knows who we are, who knows our weaknesses, who does his homework, and he sees. You know, the Bible says that he seeks and roams the earth seeking whom he may devour. That word is an interesting word because it's not just trip up. He wants to destroy us. Before we were saved, he wanted us to stay away from the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But when we got saved and we were cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ... Remember, again, Satan lost that at that point. So now what he wants to do is he wants to devour 
your effectiveness. He wants to devour any possibility that you can share Christ with somebody else. He takes our eyes from where they're supposed to be and places them usually on ourself. The enemy knows everything about us that can be seen from the outside. Again, he's strategic, so we're to be strategic. And I didn't get this for so long. So many years of my, of my walk with Christ, I didn't understand how to be strategic with the enemy. Have you ever had a time where you just, you're so frustrated with something, even, even among, you're by yourself, you're so frustrated, and you just start talking out loud. Just talking your thought, thoughts out loud. Perhaps you're by yourself, perhaps you're with somebody. You've got to remember, every time you do that, there's somebody listening. There's an enemy listening and just taking down everything you're saying. I'll be able to use this later. I'll be able to use that later. Oh, this is what they're thinking. Okay, this, this gives me insight into what they're thinking. That's what he does. So for us to be strategic against the enemy, you have to think the same way. I learned a while ago, keep my mouth shut. If there is something, certainly in my reaction, which that's probably the toughest to do. When you get angry, just sometimes your mouth opens and junk comes out. <laughs> okay, but how about in your plans? How about in your plans that, you know, I'm going to get up at 6.30 in the morning and I'm going to read the Word of God. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to say that out loud. But strategically, you may want to keep that between you and, and the Lord. Well, I want to do this. You know, I feel the Lord leading me to do this. Remember, Satan has no clue what the Holy Spirit is telling you. What he lays on your heart, he has no clue until it's said from your lips. So be cautious what you say. Be cautious in what you reveal. And I think I could probably say this out loud because he's probably figured it out by now. But there are even times when I'll say something that I want him to think. Be strategic with the enemy. He's the enemy. Don't give him anything. Pray that the Lord help you to be strategic against the enemy. Don't give him anything that he can use to then turn against you. Now, he turns it against us in a couple ways. One, he goes before the Father and he says, look at this person. Look at that person. You know, he, he comes and he takes us before the Father, takes our name before the Father and says, yeah, but look at them. What are they doing? You know, this is bad. That's bad. Praise God, the Father then looks at us through the filter of Jesus Christ and says, I, I see perfection. I see righteousness. Because that, that's what the Father sees in us. Because we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But remember, the enemy is still going before him about us. He also comes to us. 
to trip us up. This is a very real world, again, that we cannot see. But because you can't see it, don't think that it's not there. Don't think you're by yourself. I'll tell you, you are never by yourself. Ever. One, because you have the Holy Spirit with you. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, you have the Holy Spirit with you. But you also have the enemy watching you to see what he can do to trip you up. We are to stand against that enemy. Verse 13 through 14a says this, Therefore take up the whole armor of God. Again, second time he used that word, whole. The entire armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore. So what he's saying here is, do everything you can do in preparation to stand. You know, it's almost like those who, who go to school and then go to college and perhaps then go, go beyond that. They're preparing. They're readying themselves for something. In this case, Paul's saying, ready yourself. But then, at some point, that readiness is done. At some point... You stand. It's time to stand. And so what Paul's saying is, when it's time to stand, stand. Don't be afraid of that enemy. We have been given a power inside of us that's stronger than the enemy. Do you understand that? that that's an important point to get. Because we think of, of Satan as being this incredibly powerful being for evil. Which he is. He was the top cherubim. He was created above all the angels. He's powerful. He has influence. But he's not one to be afraid of. Because when we got saved, we were given power stronger than him. Stronger than him lives in each one of us. Do you know what the Bible says? The very same power that was used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead is in us. But yet we don't wield it. Just because the power is in us doesn't mean it takes us over and just does what it wants. We serve a gracious God. He will not force himself on anybody. He won't force himself on me. He won't force himself on you. He has to be invited. He has to be asked. That's the same with salvation. To be justified before the Lord, we don't do anything to earn salvation. But we do have to ask. We do have to accept. We do have to invite him in. Because he's not going to force himself on any one of us. So once we've prepared... We stand. Paul said, once you've, having done all, at the end of verse 13, having done all to stand firm, then what? Then do it. Stand. 
that's where the defenses kicked in, our testing becomes battle ready. And don't kid yourself, if you don't think you're in a battle, you need to look at it again, because you are. You're not in a battle for your own soul any longer. But you are engaged in a battle of success for your own life. You're engaged in a battle for other people's souls and your own joy. That's the battle you're engaged in. And and again, this battle we don't see. You know, Elijah, when he was with his servant and, and they were, they were, his servant was all worried about this, this army that was encamped around them, there to kill them. And Elijah's just kind of going about his business, whatever. And the servant was all worried about that. And, and finally, Elijah said, Lord, just open his eyes. Open his eyes that he might see. And when he did, when the Lord opened his eyes, he saw the battle lines. He didn't just see the physical aspect of the battle, but he saw a ring of chariots, and I believe they were chariots of fire. He saw a ring of this, these, these comrades that was there to fight for him. But he didn't see with human eyes. We cannot see the enemy with human eyes. We can't see the battle with human eyes. We could sense that it's there. Any of you that have been embroiled in in just controversy or a problem or where you're being attacked, you know that it's happening. You know that the enemy is there. And as you walk with the Lord and become more in tune with the Spirit, sometimes you're more in tune with that battle. There's a gifting of discernment that sometimes is given that gives us discernment of this battle. I do know that it's possible to see it. Because the Lord's shown it in the Word of God many times. He also offers the gifting of discernment to know know that it's there and to see it. But you know how mostly I know? Because Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God we cannot see. The kingdom of God is something that is in his realm, not ours. He would not tell us to seek that if we could not find it. And time and time again you see in the word of God where they found it. Read Acts when the kingdom of God descended upon Antioch at Pentecost. They saw it. They were there. They saw God's revelation through his people. But they also saw the warfare. That's what we need to open our eyes to. We need to know what's going on around us. We need to be aware of the enemy that wants to do everything that the enemy can do to thwart us. If you want to have a successful life in Jesus Christ, and what I mean by that is not just you being content, you being happy. We talked about radical faith. We talked about being used by God in a way that was well beyond our 
even imagination. If you really want that, if you want that kind of a relationship in Jesus Christ, you better understand the battle that swirls around you. That swirls around your church. There's a significant battle going on around this church. Because Satan wants nothing to come out of here. He does not want us to be a light for Jesus Christ. There's a significant battle going on. If you're in tune with that enemy, if you're in tune with that battle, then you know that. Why do we need to know that? We need to know that because we need to be prepared for it. But we need to know that because we've got to engage in it. How do we engage? We engage in prayer. If you're not on your knees every day praying for the battle that swirls around you, praying that the Holy Spirit strengthen you through that, protect you through that, then you're going to see points of defeat. You're going to see times where you're stepping out on your own. You know, I, I know what the Word of God says. I, I got this. Step. <laughs> and then you're embroiled in a battle, usually beyond what you can handle. And then we cry, cry out to Him. But we've got to understand that there is more going on around us than what we can see. We have to understand who the enemy really is and what he really does. Our defense comes only through a partnership with the Holy Spirit. This is not something we do on our own. We can't decide, oh, I, I have the knowledge of the Word of God, I, can, I know everything, I can step out and I can do it. That'll be a grave mistake if you do that. Why wouldn't you take the best fighter in the world with you? If I had to step in the ring with the greatest fighter in the world and I had the opportunity to go in myself or to take one greater than him, what do you think I'd do? I'd take one greater than him, I'd grab that little stool, I'd sit in the corner and I'd just watch. Hey, let me know if you want me to do something. But until that point, do it through me. Do it. Whatever you need to do. You fight the enemy. Because I can't. I don't even live in his world. He has some advantages over me. But yet, through the Holy Spirit, now all of a sudden, it's more than a level playing field. He has nothing over us except what we let him have. So our defense, again, only comes through a partnership with the Holy Spirit. Let's read verse 18. And this oftentimes, when, when people preach and, and talk about uh, uh, the, putting on the whole armor of God, they stop at verse 17, and yet verse 18 is kind of like the mix 
the lubrication that makes that entire mechanics work. Okay? Verse 18 says this, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. I'm going to read it again. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I want to point out that last part there because it says we've got to work together. It says, as you're staying in prayer at all times, remember Paul said, I pray constantly. As we're staying in prayer at all times, we're not just praying for ourselves. You know, this morning when we worshipped and we shook hands and we drew together in unity, we may know each other and some of us may not know each other. But it's the importance of that unity that gives us strength. That's why Paul said, pray for those that are with you. Making supplication for all the saints. Why? Well, they're not here. They'll never know I prayed for them. You know, why do I pray for Andrew, who is a pastor over in Nigeria? Why do I pray for him? He, he doesn't know, except that I tell him I pray for him. He wouldn't even know that I pray for him. But you know what? He may never know. But the enemy does. The enemy does, and so does the Holy Spirit, who coordinates his troops. Jesus Christ coordinates his troops and sends them where they need to go. And when we pray for somebody else, when we pray for each other here, we're engaging the assets of Jesus Christ for each other, for the unity of this group. That's what gives us strength. We talk about an army rising up. An army works together. An army cares for each other. You know, the Marine Corps code, leave no man behind. Right? We don't leave anyone behind. They care for each other. They will die for each other. And they will do everything in unity to fight the enemy. That's what Paul's saying here, and he's saying to pray constantly. To always pray, praying at all times, and it says in the Spirit. What does that mean? What does in the Spirit mean? We won't turn there. Romans 8.26 says that the Holy Spirit prays prayers that we can't even utter. That we don't even know that we need. He said he groans prayers us that we don't even know we need okay that's the Holy Spirit praying for us but when we pray and we go before the Lord and we are praying in the spirit that's different than the times that you have set aside for prayer certainly when we do corporate prayer when you're in your devotional time and you, and you set aside your Bible and you begin to pray Praying in the Spirit, in part, is right now, for me. I'm praying in the Spirit, even as I'm delivering this message. Because to pray in the Spirit means I'm giving it to Him. Holy Spirit, just speak through me. Father, speak through me. 
what you want. That's what's going on in the back of my head. When you're out there and you're sharing Christ with somebody, in the back of your mind, you're praying for that person. Even though that's not what's coming out of your mouth. Or perhaps you're, you're facing a trial. You're in something pretty intense. You're dealing with the situation, but you're praying. We probably find we pray a lot more than we think we do. <laughs> and the more you become in tune with your walk with Jesus Christ, you're going to pray more and more. That's why when I, when I first began to understand or was first seeing that, you know, Paul said, I pray constantly. That's a little overwhelming when you understand that prayer is setting your Bible aside, getting on your knees and, and specifically focusing. But that's not what he meant. What he meant was he shares relationship with Jesus Christ all the time. He prays to him because he's talking to him all the time. And then the Holy Spirit talks back for Jesus Christ and for the Father. So we're to pray constantly. I do want you to turn to Luke chapter 18. And I want to read a, a parable here. Now, this specifically is talking about prayer that, that we do for something. You know, where, where we, are, we know something that God wants us to pray for, we pray fervently for this. This is an example of a lady we're going to read that didn't give up. So oftentimes, we pray about something and we just... Uh, I prayed about it. I prayed about it twice even. And then we just let it be. Persistency makes a difference in how we pray. Luke chapter 18, we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. As Jesus spoke this parable to his disciples. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, the judge. The judge refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bugging me, she keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I think so often, because we don't see that spiritual realm, we don't think our prayers get very far. Yes, we can understand theoretically that, okay, yes, I'm praying, I know God hears them. But because he's not sitting right in front of me, I don't understand that connection because I can't see that world. That's why it's so important to seek first to the kingdom of God. Because when you are in his world, when you see his world and understand his world, 
you know your prayers are getting through. You know He hears your prayers. You don't have to hinge the fact that He hears your prayers or not on the fact that something actually happened. His answer. Well, you know, He must not hear my prayers because He's not answering my prayers. Well, if you know, if you were sitting right here with Him and you were telling Him what was on your mind, you would know that He heard you without any answer, right? You would already know that. You would know that because you were right there with him. See, that's what he wants. He wants us to understand his world, his kingdom, and understand that when we pray, he's right there. He's right there listening. You can't base the fact of him listening on an answer, or an answer that you don't like. Sometimes we don't get an answer right away. Sometimes we don't get an answer that, you know, we don't like the answer that we get. Sometimes there is silence. But there's purpose in everything he does. You have to always be consistent in your prayer. Just like this this widow who, basically God's saying, you know, this unrighteous judge finally did for her what she was asking because she kept bothering him every day. How much better is God? Do you think God listens to you every day when you speak to him? Yeah. Be consistent in your prayer. Be consistent in your communication to him. Don't stop. If it's something that Holy Spirit has told you to pray for, Don't stop. How many times have you heard of people... A good example is is Pastor Jack down in Mexico. He prayed for his mother for salvation. I don't even know how many years. It was years and years and years. He tells that story when we go down there. He prayed for her consistently. And then she finally accepted Christ. God didn't answer that prayer right away. In fact, it was six years she wouldn't even talk to him after he got saved. She would not even speak with him. But he kept praying. He kept praying every day. He kept going before the Lord. Why? Because how much better is our Father than this unrighteous judge? If the unrighteous judge will hear us because of our supplication, don't you think the Father will? Yeah, He will. Now, He does things in His timing. He does things according to His purpose. But He hears you the moment you speak it. The moment. But then He also sees the consistency and the intensity of you asking over and over and over and over again. So go before Him. And one of the things that I used to pray over and over and over again is, Lord, illuminate your scripture to me. Help me to fall in love with your scripture. I grew up, I'm not a reader. If you ever get me a Christmas gift, don't get me a book. (laughs) Give me a video. There you go. If I could get a book done in two hours through a video, I'm good. 
I know that sounds horrible. I shouldn't admit that. But I'm not a reader. But I used to always read the Word of God out of commitment because I knew his, his Word would never return void. So I read it out of commitment. But it dawned on me, and this was probably about four, now about five years ago or so, I started praying, Lord, I want to desire your word. I want it to become something that I can't wait to read. Lord, you know my problems. You know I I can't stand to read. But I want to fall in love with your word. And so I prayed that every day. I prayed it with earnest. And, And even more than once a day, I prayed it all the time. It was something that permeated my thought process. And you know what? He didn't do it right away. I still committed to reading every day. And I still committed to praying every day. But it was probably about eight months later that I really started to see it. And it dawned on me, wow, that's really happening. It really is happening beyond me because I still can't stand to read. Don't give me another book. But I started to get hungry for his word. I started to go to sleep at night after reading something, thinking in my mind, I can't wait to wake up in the morning so I could see what happened. Even though I knew what happened. I had read it before. I knew the story. But see, now the Holy Spirit was illuminating it to me in a different way. He was making the pages come alive. He was showing me things in layers that weren't just surface anymore. Now he was showing me things that only he could reveal to me. And I got excited about that. Excited so much to where I needed my time in the Word. I needed my time to absorb, to hear from him, to see what he had in here, because it was brand new. I had read the Bible through many times. But now all of a sudden it was brand new. It was brand new because of what he was showing me in his spirit. So when we ask God for things, be consistent in your prayers. You want to walk with Christ. You want a deep, incredible, personal walk with him. Pray for it. Ask for it. He's going to give it to you. Now, keep in mind, and I think that's why God, Jesus gave this parable of the persistent widow, because it doesn't always happen right away. It doesn't always, oh yeah, you asked for, okay, boom, you got it. Sometimes that does, praise God when it does. But oftentimes, he has to take us through a process. Because asking for it was the first part of our being ready. And there are other aspects that he had to bring into our lives to be ready to receive his full benefit. That's the walk with him. We'll face that the rest of our lives. Even as we start to go through this armor and understanding what the pieces are and how to apply them and what to do with this, he's going to take us through a process. It's not going to be that all of a sudden, boom, you got the armor, you're good, go about your business. No, it's interactive. 
He engages with us as we engage with him. You can have a head knowledge of this stuff without a heart knowledge. But the heart knowledge is what's important. That's what the Holy Spirit speaks to. That's what he works with and works through. So again, be persistent in what we ask. Our defense comes only as a result of our relationship with Jesus Christ. As we understand these pieces of armor over the coming weeks, as we begin to study those, you've got to realize first and foremost the level at which you can apply these defense mechanisms is completely dependent upon the level of your walk with Christ. You cannot put on this armor first without having a relationship. You have to have a relationship with him first. He has to dwell inside you. He has that that's like the activator. When we get saved, these possibilities become active. Because before Jesus Christ saves us, justifies us, it's inactive. None of this applies. None of this can apply because we have not given Jesus Christ permission to be in our lives. That's what salvation is. That's what accepting Jesus Christ into our heart is, is giving him permission. That's why we're called bond slaves. A bond slave is a slave by choice. It's not a person who was taken over and made to be a slave. A bond slave is one that by choice goes to that master and says, I am yours by choice forever. You'll notice in the word of God, a bond slave is then marked, tattooed if you will. Tattooed showing ownership. So when we became bond slaves of Jesus Christ, that ownership became his. We are his. The Bible says we're bought with a price. But we're purchased. We were purchased with a price. So that relationship that we develop with Jesus Christ is the foundation of taking on this armor. You have to be pursuing that relationship. Otherwise you won't even understand even the enemy or the realm in which the enemy works. Because we can only see that through the Holy Spirit. We can only see that through our relationship with Jesus Christ. So you want to become strong against the enemy? Become strong in your walk with Jesus Christ. That's the prerequisite. That's what has to be there. If you want to be a warrior for Christ, defense must be established first. We talk about an army rising up. If you want to be a warrior for Jesus Christ, how do you think it'd be if you walked out into that battle without the armor, without a sword, without anything? I just walked out there. Dude, I got Jesus Christ. I'm ready. How do you think that would that wouldn't do do very well, would it? No, because the enemy has what? 
says flaming darts, flaming arrows. So unless you can catch those, like in the Matrix or something, you know, you're going to need that defense. You're going to need that shield when you go out on that battlefield. Don't step out on the battlefield without being prepared. But if by choice you choose to be a warrior, that's different. A warrior without defensive mechanisms is what? Dead. If you walked out into a battle over in Iraq or whatever and and you had no defenses, well, you're probably not going to be alive very long. It's same with the battle that we can't see. So if you want to be a warrior, if you choose to be a warrior, you want to be part of this army rising up to make a difference, be proactive in your life, then you better get this series down. You better get your defenses understood. How you put them on. What each one means. That's why we're going we're gonna to try and deal each week with a separate one because I think it's real easy to glaze over these and see, well, okay, shield of faith. Yeah, i got to have faith. Yeah, wow, it's so much more than that. Because when you get out on the battle, if you don't know how to use that shield or if you don't know how to see the enemy coming and know what he's going to do, where to apply that shield, then you're an ineffective warrior. So if you want to be a warrior, these next few weeks of understanding the defenses that God gives us to put on, that's the foundation. That's what you need to get first. We also help defense by unity, we said it before, by unifying together and caring for each other. That's probably the scariest thing. If, if, I, if I could kind of try and think into the mind of the enemy, that's probably the scariest thing to the enemy. Oh, I can just imagine him looking at ignition right now. I, I hope they don't bind together. I hope they don't unify together and start asking God for things. I hope they don't unify together, put their defenses up, and start talking to people. That's the last thing he wants. He does not want us to be unified. He doesn't want a marriage to be unified. He wants them to be at odds with each other. Or at least neutral. At least neutral to where they're not helping each other. He does that in marriage all the time. Where things are placed into that marriage and and one side or the other starts to feel this way and feel that way. So it distracts. He doesn't want them to be unified. He doesn't want us to be unified. He wants to try and bring things in, in our lives daily, in our church, that break that unity. But you know what? He can't have victory unless we give him victory. We choose to be unified or not. Because it's that permission. It's not that we do all the work. Not at all. In in fact, we allow the Holy Spirit to do the work. 
But we've got to give him permission. We have to seek it. We have to be that widow that just kept asking and asking and asking and asking. Just going before the Lord. God, I pray for unity. I want unity. We need unity. Bind us together in such strong unity that no bands can be broken. None. And so when Satan throws one of those darts, we have our defenses. Now, why also is unity important? Because sometimes my brother doesn't have the same defenses that I might. Sometimes it's required of me to hold that brother close and to put that shield over both of us. See, we're responsible for our brothers. We're responsible for those who we're unified with. We're responsible for the other brothers and sisters in Christ. So my goal is to get my shield, my defenses, to a point where it can not only help me, but I can help a weaker brother. I can defend for them. Because unified, we're against a single enemy. Do you get that picture? That if we're all unified, we're fighting for each other. All being on the same team, we help each other. That happens on a small scale right here. We're family right here. But as we grow and as the Holy Spirit begins to take the the arms of ignition and placing them out into the United States and all throughout the world, as we get larger, it doesn't change. The unity is still critical. Helping each other is still critical. You know, you can imagine if, if we had a church in Nigeria, and as this church here, the church in the States, hears something going on there, that is an extraordinary battle going on, we have to send resources to them. And I'm not talking about physical resources. That might be the case too. I'm talking about spiritual resources. We have to take our sword, which is our only offensive weapon, you'll learn, we have to take our sword and we have to go fight with them. We unify with them. See, that's something the body of Christ doesn't do right now. Historically, over the last 50 years or so, the church has been so separated, so segregated because of theology, because of greed, because of pride, because of so many things, we're separated. But that's not how it's supposed to be. Ignition needs to work with every church that wants the same things in Jesus Christ. Every church. Can you imagine how this world will be different if the body of Christ does that? And by the way, the Bible predicts that. There will come a latter rain. There will come a final harvest before his return, before he takes his church home, we're going to see a final harvest. I am an absolutely firm believer in the fact that we are upon those days. 
I believe that is what he is called ignition to. I believe that the vision he has given us, and I won't get into him now, but so many promises that he has told us specifically about ignition is because of that very purpose. That we're part of something extraordinary. And it's so far beyond us. So if we don't unify together, if we don't decide to be warriors in Jesus Christ and hold each other up, then we'll never get there. We'll never be that peace that Jesus desires to fight for him. So as we go into this series... I really want you to think about what it means to put on these pieces. But not just about yourself, but about this team. About the others around us, the others in this church, the other Christians that we come into contact with. We're doing it for them as well. Because there's going to be a time where we have to lift our shield for them so that we can keep the enemy off of them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,